with the dope fiend shit hold that's a whole needle so i can't promise that i won't leave you i put my all in and i broke even profit try to told people chuckle at the known evils i stepped over when they rolled to the bros i lay in low tree yeah. petals of roses and broke treaties little the road i was on swinging i couldn't hold shit with cold fingers in other words niggas don't feel you really Stay on my square like Sicilian slice. Power spread like Jiffy. It made perfect sense. You try and get her a bite. I snickered. I caught her with a sidewinder. Slithering in the vine. And listen, it's hissing like spinning vinyl. This cylindrical system of life. Vicious cycles. Mice give up when it's dinner time. The 6 9 style snitching spiteful. Mine the biggest, but I'm staying tight lipped. In addition, I ain't switching sides. On some my niggas simplify shit. Do not tread on me. The living die with a smile, getting fly, watching water rising, blood on the horizon, blood spilling out the idol. They try and judge like Simon. I'm leaving on the note most highest. Drop the mic like Ryan. Told dog it's on the flow like Kyber. I'm flying, heat check. Might hit an island if she need to get a feet. Get a uh, uh, he check. My head the mob time, I need a little Corey set. He check. Putting numbers All on right. the board, fucking up back. the defense. And this week we are Copeland. Um, I was trying to add something on like and think of some other ways to make it fancier, but fuck it. Let's keep it, let's keep it basic. Um, Quentin, how are you doing this evening? Um, I exist for sure. I definitely exist. Um, I feel like I've done nothing but consume, uh, like content about like the Palestinian uprising happening right now, which is just like, just great. So I've just been doing nothing but that, nothing, uh, really but that all day. Um, right. And then like, that has been uh, a, a common <laughs> occurrence for a lot of people. I'm kind of interested why this is the time, this is the news thing that's, like, really getting a lot of I'm, people's attention. Yeah, I don't, uh, like, I don't, I don't know, because I feel like, <sighs> do you feel like people are starting to maybe somewhat understand that, like, this isn't a war? <laughs> like, right. Yeah, like uh, like uh, like, are people finally starting to understand that a little bit? That this isn't like a both sides are equally bad and one have equal right and have equal right thing. Like, I feel like the tide is maybe starting to shift a little bit on that, which is why it feels like this is a big a bi- like a bigger deal. But then I've seen some people uh like circulate some weird ass unverified stories about you know like you know the thing about the about the rave and they tried to say that uh someone from someone someone from someone from Hamas uh like se- like sexually like sexually assaulted some woman or something and they tried to like basically use that to nullify to, to nullify um to like nullify the whole thing and see everyone here has fault and is bad and this and that it's like it's like a completely unverified thing. I'm not saying that it didn't happen, but it's like super duper unverified. But then it's also like, okay, like it's funny you guys say that, but then when there's all the actual reported instances of se- of like sexual like attack and violence on Palestinian on Palestinian women 
from Israeli forces and military forces over the years that that doesn't matter at all or that we can be from the U.S. or be from the West at all and take such a fervent stand on this stuff while the U.S. and has done horrible, horrible things to people in the midst of invading them and violating and embarrassing and torturing and uh, sexually abusing them in the moments in the moments before their death. So I don't know. Felt like a, felt like a weird thing to suddenly have people have, have people uh, pop up and say. But I do feel like a lot of this stuff is maybe the fact that the tide is turning ever so slightly. And that people are beginning to have a little bit of understanding or they're spreading a little bit more that this isn't a war. This is like people fighting for their for, for, for their land and that this isn't some both sides are evil thing, which is my hope. But that's kind of what it seems like to me is that maybe there's some more understanding now. Yeah, it does feel like the opinion has finally swung in the correct direction the scales have fallen from more people's eyes and they're starting to actually see, as you said, what this is, um, what it always has been, that it's a, you know, a, a, a occupation, a colonial project, in, if you want to put it like in the rawest term. Because people calling it a military occupation is like kind of unfair. It's, like, I it, get why people say that. It's, it's, subtle, it's subtle colonialism. Like, it's exactly it's, it's just straight up. We're gonna come and occupy this land, and we're gonna make it. We're gonna make it seem as if we've always been here, and that you just didn't exist. Like, yeah, damn near genocide, basically, or like an attempt at genocide. Is just hey, yeah, we just want to act as if these people who were here for however many thousands of years just never existed. This is always us. You guys are imagining things. Those people never existed. They were never here. Come on. It's always been us. So Yeah, from from the beginning they were on our land. They they were the aggressors. They took this space from us. Yeah. While we were gone, supposedly, even though none of that is real and the closest thing to any kind of you know uh you know legitimization this or or, or whatever you want to say is like a, a explanation of how this works is like the bible which i <laughs> i feel like it's not allowed to be your citation you know mods citation needed you know like i don't think that we're allowed to use the bible as our as our work you know you're not allowed to use that as your uh as your proof of concept i don't think that flies in most debates yeah or, they, they, that's know, like I don't, college we, they, that's, i'm yeah. sorry that's not, that's not a verifiable source of, source of information here <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So to go like, okay, this is our land as promised to us by God. It's like, okay, well, you know, that's that's fine. But what you're talking about is a holy war and basically just unsubstantiated theft of land is what we're really doing here. I mean, part of it is probably like the way that the tide has shifted on the Ukraine and Russia situation, which, but, yeah, um, which is all, which is people. also like, like you know, like a little, like a little bit of a welcome site to see people like now that it's gone on for over a year now just finally to finally see people be like oh wait a second (laughs) yeah which it's nice because it's like the opposite it's kind of the opposite situation but not exactly and then it's like it's the situation where it's like oh really what it is is just muddies the waters and it makes it more clear to people to see that like Wait a minute! Like America's not always on the good guy side. Yeah, like yeah, that's I think basically what that's the biggest. Basically, what it, what it felt like is like, 
there's a certain like contingent of people like finally learning is like oh like so just because the u.s takes up for somebody that doesn't mean that they're like the damsel in distress right doesn't mean that they're right and it's 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 it is fun because you know the, obviously the the only the only way that made this work for a lot of people in their brain to figure this out was like it had to go back to world war Two, right the only way that the only the last like clear good guy bad guy war which even still you know i'm not doing the you know uh actual you know oh the nazis are the bad guys thing that you see people tweeting now which is really fun to see like the based you know the the based uh, right wingers who are starting to talk themselves into like arguing with the idea that the Nazis are bad, where it's like, no, everyone can be bad. That's okay. You don't have to just because like <laughs> anyone else was bad too. Doesn't mean that your only choice is to defend the Nazis guys. But yeah, it, it takes that to, to get normies to basically go like, Oh shit. Like we're backing the Nazis or like the people who are literally legitimately still claim like their lineage to the Nazis, which is, an easy thing to get away from, right? Like, there's a lot of, there was a lot of countries. There was, it was, you know, it was an allied powers. It wasn't just Germany that were bad, but all the other countries were really good at just, like, denouncing their lineage to that. But for some reason, Ukraine was like, no, thank like, you. Literally everybody, we want to continue. You know, you know, even Italy is like, hey, you know? <laughs> like, fucking Germany. Even Germany itself, the place where it came from. They're like, they made, they passed laws where they're like, you're not allowed to even talk about this stuff, let alone support it, you know? Like, yeah. No, but, but it was just funny, like, whenever, like, this started up, started up, and obviously, like, it stems from all the decades and decades and decades of, like, anti, anti-Russian anti sentiments that have come from the U.S. and everything like that. So it's, like, easy that Russia does this thing, Russia's the bad guy. But it's, like... No matter how many people said, hey, you know that these, like, Ukrainian, like, a lot of these Ukrainian people have, like, Nazi ideals that are just, like, never caught on, or were just kind of like, nah, nah, man, nah, they wouldn't do that, no, that's not, that's not, no, but it's like, (laughs) everyone's been saying this for, like, since the beginning, whenever, whenever this started, and now, like, they finally take it seriously, it is, it's really odd. (laughs) I mean, there were people that were saying this before it started. There were yeah, the, yeah, this yeah, was yeah, a yeah. conversation. This was a known thing about yeah, like Ukraine, like in like Ukrainian culture in, in certain parts for for a while. So like right, a lot. So like when the Russia, like when the Russia, so when the Russian and Ukraine and Ukrainian conflict like really like boiled ahead. Yeah, we know what the like the again like you said like the normie normie reaction would be to this, but then a lot of us that like are aware. Of like culturally how like how Ukraine works in some places, we're always kind of like okay, like again, <laughs> this is kind of odd. Well, yeah, it's like like as you say, even before you know it became known, or even before the uh, this happened, like people like to point to the Zelensky was a you know a a comedic a comedic actor who played a role of a you know a bumbling prime minister of Ukraine before he became. The prime minister of ukraine um and people i guess now or when they wanted when it was uh you know when it was convenient they overlooked that part of the character arc of that and you know Zelensky is jewish he's culturally jewish actually i think he has said that he's not um religiously he's not a, a practicing jew but he is culturally jewish um that part of the character part of the story of the the show that he was on where he played a you know a bumbling comedian turned uh, prime minister uh, did play off of you know the nazi 
history and the Nazi background of the country. Like, that was part of the show. So, like, even expressly in, you know, the the prime minister that, you know, guys like Stephen King and, um, oh, God, now I can't think of his name. Uh, the guy from I Am Sam and, and uh, other things and Harvey Milk. Either way, um, like, the, the, they all support Zelensky so much, but they overlook the Nazi ties. Like, Zelensky rose to prominence in Ukraine off of a comedy show that did reference the Nazi aspect of the country. So, yeah, whatever, you know. Um, but yes, you know, Quentin, we didn't even talk about this on my other podcast. That's ostensibly about politics as much as we've talked about it here, which is very funny. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, what was I going to say? Um, I saw a billboard <laughs> as I was driving, uh, home just now of, a uh, Snoop Dogg on corona it was a corona ad with snoop dogg sitting on the beach drinking corona and i was thinking about just how just how much snoop like loves to just he's just about money and marketing and stuff because i was thinking about like just how racist like mexican people can be um and the idea that like snoop dogg is one of the good ones he's one of the acceptable black people for for mexicans to like or whatever um and then I was thinking about how Snoop just has a history of being willing to endorse products and things like this that have questionable, not just fans, but even like, you know, backing, which Corona is owned by um, the Constellation Group, which is not a good company um, to just to say the least. Um, and because the thing that crossed my mind is I don't know if you remember this because you were probably very young, but the Girls Gone Wild uh, videotapes, there was a Snoop Dogg girls gone wild tape wait wait okay. um, I'm, I'm familiar with the girls gone wild stuff i'm not familiar sure. with the <laughs> excuse me snoop dogg was willing to endorse and produce his own sub brand video that was a girls a snoop dogg girls gone wild video and if you know about girls gone wild you know that the ceo the guy who came up with it and the basic concept of it was pretty skeevy yeah. but the guy himself is like a criminal who went to prison for exploitation and stuff. And Snoop was more than willing to stick his name on that. So I'm just like, I guess, you know, Snoop Dogg is really, really willing to endorse and, and just get the bag for anything. I mean, he did, he obviously did some cryptocurrency recently, um, but he's doing Corona now. And it just, it just crossed my mind. Jeez, like Snoop is just, I mean, really just a, a bad guy just all around kind of a bad dude you know what's funny is like not even like to super focus on that aspect of things that you're saying which is all like completely true um with snoop it's funny that someone who i think maybe has two maybe three like good albums to his name or if you yeah. really look at it he's probably the biggest rapper of all time like, if you, like, sure, yeah. look at it from everything he's been a part of, the classic super known songs that cross over culturally, uh, TV appearances, pop culture references, shit like that, is that it's funny that, like, it, and, I, and I think Snoop is, like, good and talented, and, like, I, like he has the other, he has, like, a bunch of things that make him, like, a really digestible and, like, super entertaining rapper. But it's like, wow. This guy maybe has like two good albums, and he's the biggest rapper 
ever. And like just from that aspect, I always find like talking about Snoop Dogg so interesting because I would never put him anywhere near like any of my like subjective rankings of like who like is the best rapper ever, this and that, uh, best discography, like anything like that. I would never have him near any of that stuff for me. But then if you ask me who I think the most famous rapper of all time is or who I think had the most successful career ever is, like I'm more inclined to say Snoop Dogg than I'm am like 99.9% of names. And it's really funny to think that like to think that about a guy that like I think his musical discography just isn't good. Yeah, no, that's that's very fair and just like you're saying like being able to like kind of get into what he has to say and and actually enjoy his music. I mean, you know, from the just the business-minded aspect of things as I mentioned there. I mean, there's there's so many failed attempts to break out in other ways so many yeah again putting his name on anything that'll have it so many trying to switch i mean him jumping over to um oh god cash money no was it ca- no it wasn't cash money it was um, no limit no i'm trying yeah no limit like at the really at the worst fucking possible time i mean honestly there was just a blatant cash grab where it was just like you're part of something and especially like death row that like historically had that like you know <laughs> that that fervor of being like we're death row we're you know death row till you die kind of that whole for life kind of style to be the one who like jumps back and forth and just has no fucking allegiance or loyalty that way is fucking just very blatant on the idea that like i said he's just a a, a craven businessman um and to to say like three albums i think is really pushing it to say that snoop has three good that's albums what i'm saying really, it's like, I like i said three i'm like yeah Here's no. thing. I'll, I'll give him I give him a doggy style obviously and I give him like much later on like damn near like I guess like 10, yeah, like 10, like 10 years later like 13 years later I, I give him blue carpet treatment like sure. which is like has like a bunch of, has, a, has a bunch of Pharrell stuff on there so right I give him those two and then yeah like if you ask me for a third um I'm gonna struggle <laughs> I'm gonna struggle for a third right I would give him, like, pieces, right? Like you said, features, and even just, like, heavily collaborative efforts. Like, you could say, like, like, the, like, the, like is like the Chronic, chronic like, anything? If you want to give him, give yeah. him the Chronic because he's all over the Chronic, then, okay, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, it's like, I can, I can see that. I can understand saying, like, he deserves some credit for how, you know, good that is in some way. That's like a half, you know what I mean? That's like a half. And then you could say there's, like, some half, some other half stuff historically, for him that you could like give him some credit for and like it could add up to say okay three if, if you, albums worth of work you, but I not feel like three his career full is like albums really like again like that stuff and then some guest verses like his guest verses are usually pretty solid so like if you go across like historically like like from like the dog from like the dog pound shit and then like um like any like any like any other stuff like uh he, it's like it's a bunch of like pretty solid guest verses that make up like a lot of his like uh best stuff right. i think because like I said, like genuinely like if someone would sit there and like you remember when like the verses when the versus stuff was a big was a big deal like versus during like the heights of like quarantine yeah, yeah. and shit like that like i'm like okay let's say snoop dog did it i don't know who snoop dog snoop dog would face but let's say you're doing a snoop dog thing and you have 20 songs like 
I'm not sure what 20 of those sound like. And it's not out of, 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 out of like a lack of familiarity with like Snoop Dogg's discography. It's no. 20 of them? Like, and 20, 20 like, really, songs, really, like, like, good, known Snoop Dogg songs? Like, 20 of them? That's not sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm not seeing it. I could see 20 songs that Snoop Dogg's on. Like you said, 20 features, 20 songs plus features, sure. But just purely Snoop Dogg? I don't think so. I I, I really don't. Um, But a bit of the <laughs> the diatribe I was going on there with the connection. I was trying to do a... a, a a transition here um and i and i lost it midway through because i started breaking things down because you know that's the kind of podcast that this is um is that like doing something where you really like took a artistic stance of breaking down snoop dogg's work just does not seem you know interesting entertaining it just doesn't because snoop dogg as you said is probably one of the more most well-known rappers one of the most uh lucrative rappers successful in a business sense uh similarly to wwe and let's say their sub brand in the nxt with their big show coming up they're loading up to bear with you know names like john cena all this and that but i did check out um the nxt uh no mercy show which i don't know if you watched any of this but people have been buzzing about it right um, did you watch anything on this show at all? I have not seen a single match from NXT 2.0. Okay. Ever. Like, you know, like, uh, ever, like ever since they rebranded yeah, it, yeah. I have not seen a single match from this at all. <laughs> sure. That's fair. And I think that they've kind of, as you said, they rebranded. I think they've de-branded um, recently. And that they've kind of like reverted back to the old NXT. And watching this show, I can definitely see it. Um, I still hear, you know, and basically believe the idea that like the TV show is just not worth watching. Um, but the big shows have some stuff. And and checking this out, I will say that I agree with that. There's a lot of stuff here worthwhile watching. I'm not going to talk about every match, but I will talk about a couple matches that I do think like... Um, kind of speak to the quality of what is going on here and also just like some other interesting notes as as things have moved forward and and progressed over the years um a big one is noam dar versus <laughs> pete dunn in a nxt heritage cup match um i don't know if you know about the heritage cup you said you haven't watched any nxt so you don't know um yeah i don't know anything like about heritage cup. i don't know anything about yeah. any of this wait so i'm looking at this um yeah they still call him Butch. Yeah, on there they're calling him Butch. I don't know that that's really his name. I, I feel like they were referring to him as Pete are, Dunn. Are, are, okay. Why was Tyler yeah. Bate with him? Like, um, so <laughs> there was there was some kind of match between the two that set this match up. Um, and that's this is the part that gets me because there's like the the history of the um of what's going on here because they just did this the global heritage invitational which i guess that pete won somehow even though i didn't realize he was in it um yeah so so pete beat tyler to get to the finals of the global heritage invitational which yeah, okay. people were referring to as nxt g1 because they don't understand what a round robin tournament is 
Um, so no, any wrestling media person was just calling it a G1 because they they were unfamiliar with the idea that a round robin tournament is a thing, which is how bad they are at sports. Even though like most of the major sports leagues, if you if you actually think about it, are running a round robin style tournament for the most part. Like the the regular season for most sports, like football, basketball, yeah. baseball, is a round robin tournament, but people don't understand it for some reason. Um, and they just think that it, that's just the G1. But anyways, um, so Pete beat Tyler in a big match. They played up the history between the two. And then that was why then um, Pete went on from there to beat Joe Coffey to win the whole Global Heritage Invitational. And then for that, he's getting a shot at the, <laughs> the NXT Heritage Cup. Why am I explaining NXT booking to you? This is ridiculous. Um, and because he was going up against Noam Dar who has a team, his, a faction with him now that's actually pretty good. Why does he, and, why is, um, you know, I'm not going to, there's, I have a lot of questions here, but I'm just going to let you, like. Yeah. yeah. Why is okay. Lash Legend with Noam Dar? What's happening? Like, I'm, there's a lot. Noam Dar <laughs> has put together a, a unit of basically he's grabbed the people that, like, are not, that, like, just don't get any, basically the people that have, they've, like, have failed in NXT and like that they're trying to move on for Noam Dar has like scooped them up and he's created like this weird stable um, that I think I can't remember what it's called because I don't watch this stuff. Um, so because because he had all those people in his corner, that's why Pete Dunne was like, I need someone in my corner. And then they're like Tyler Bate stepped up to be like, yeah, you beat me wait, to get this wait. and we have our history. <laughs> yeah, I have the name. Okay. Oh, you got it. What is it? What is it? It's like. Are you ready? It's like allure. It's not allure. What is it? Meta four. Yes, that's it. Meta four. Meta. Yes. Dash. Four. And then four yes. spelled like the number four. Right. Because there's four of what them. What the fuck see. is going on here? <laughs> wait, wait. No, like I'm sorry. Yeah. Unless you go back. To like talking about the good stuff on the show because I believe that there's good things on here. So like, I do want I, like sure. I'm gonna let you do that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is one of the good things though. That's the thing. I I understand where you're coming from, but this is this is one of the good things. Um, so you've got Noam Dar and you've got Pete Dunne, and they have a really great round British rounds match. Three rounds. Um. Each round is about like ten minutes or something. It's yeah, it's it's honestly it's really fucking good. Like these guys beat the piss out of each other. There's a ton of great near falls. They they work to the to the gimmick of the rounds really well. Um, Dar is phenomenal. Pete Dunn is still just as good as ever here. Um, yeah, this was just this was honestly a, a great match. I I get where you're coming for from like looking at this and all the time that I had to spend explaining it makes it like almost feel like it's not worth it but it's it's honestly very good really good match um and then the uh <laughs> the other thing i want to talk about was uh carmelo hayes you know christian casanova taking on Ilya dragunov um and this was just a really really fucking phenomenal match i mean they just they beat the shit out of each other Ilya dragunov um he really, he became what Tyler Bate was supposed to, which it's very funny. Tyler Bate was the second in the match before, but just looking at him now, he's like a totally different guy. 
Um, just his build is crazy. Because, you know, Ilya in the beginning, he was so skinny. And then he bulked up, but he just got, like, really big, like, bloated. Now he's, like, he's fucking stacked, dude. His shoulders are huge. His arms are gigantic. But he's cut. And, like, I mean, it's all of everything you would have wanted and hoped for from Ilya. It's, like, it's actually happening. It's, it's crazy. And I would think that for you someone who was a huge fan of Ilya, just like i was from early early on would just be so we should just both be so enamored and happy for what's going on here he's he's legitimately getting his flowers finally he's getting the respect he wins the title here which i understand it's nxt so it feels weird but like it's still nxt is like a national television show like it's not it's not just a developmental brand like he is the top guy on a television a televised wrestling promotion that's owned by wwe that's on in as many homes as raw every fucking week and a smackdown will be shortly and it's fucking Ilya dragonoff it's the same Ilya from wxw shotgun tv champion from however many years ago at this point it's insane and like it really did like it was kind of hard for me to not in some ways have that like little bit of nostalgia emotional response to seeing it on top of just how good the match was and i think to like carmelo hayes when he was christian casanova and that like of all the people in the world who was high on him from the beginning and told me argued with me that he's like this guy's got something was dylan hales and he's absolutely correct and to see these two in this position with that background and that history to be like you know the r the r guy the me and you guy from from uh wxw taking on the you know the dylan guy from the northeast indies which is weird to think about dylan supporting a northeast indies guy and they're in the main event or i guess not the main event but they're wrestling for the top title in a fucking wwe pay-per-view show is it's crazy it's absolutely insane to think about how we got here and how this became this and on top of, again, on top of all of that and the history and everything and that, the quality of the performance. I mean, this was brutal. This was every bit an Ilya Dragunov match. The point where it really got me and people, you know, they've talked this to death and, oh, you know, Ilya, if you're wrestling Ilya, you got to have an Ilya match and this and that. Like the point where it really stood out was Carmelo Hayes was doing the, the hold the arm, the wrist control head stomps to Ilya on the ground. And it was just as brutal as Brian Danielson doing that same spot. And it was just like, okay, like Ilya really did make this guy work an Ilya match. This was again, phenomenal on a big weekend. Cause this happened the same weekend as wrestle dream, which maybe we can talk about a little bit here. Um, this was just as good as almost anything on that show. I mean, this was a really, really standout match. I, tr- I trust you on this. I'm going to, so I'm going to go definitely go back and give it a chance. So like, and you're totally right here that like, Again, we everyone's kind of like said the same thing, like things about NXT. I'm like, oh, like this is so wacky. This is this and that. This is kind of crazy. Like people are doing the. Can you imagine? Imagine telling somebody X for ten years involving NXT. But like, this is another like really legitimate one. It's like who would have imagined like Ilya Dragunov and Christian Casanova being in this position of importance and being like the two next guys on like the come up on like WWE programming. That's like that is kind of yeah. a weird thing to to watch. And I mean and the commentary, which is it's Booker T and uh and Vic Joseph, which I don't know Vic Joseph from from 
Adam or whatever, but you know, like it's very funny because Vic Joseph calls it out and he says, these guys, these are two guys in their twenties, which was shocking to me because as I said, we've been watching Ilya for what feels like 20 years at this point. You know what I mean? Like it's not, it's not, it's been like 10 years, but either way, it feels like I've been watching Ilya Dragunov wrestle for my entire life and to be like, he's in his twenties. And, you know, him and him and Christian Casanova or Carmelo Hayes are both pushing 30. They're both 29, but still absolutely incredible to see them at this place and to think like, okay, WWE wrestlers continue to go now into their 40s, into their 50s. And, you know, talk about wrestlers in their 50s. I guess here's a good, uh, a, a good enough, a, a solid enough transition um, to the Wrestle Dream and, and the debut of the uh, eponymous, the... Uh, I, I was trying to say, like, namesake, right, of the episode um, with Edge, Adam Copeland, debuting in his 50s in AEW. Um, yeah, I mean, Wrestle Dream, that's obviously the big closing out bit of the show. Um, I don't know. Is it what, what, what do you have any thoughts on the show? Is there anything that you, like, particularly want to talk about from the uh, from Wrestle Dream here? I um, mean, uh... you know. You know, like like the stuff, like stuff, the stuff, the things going to take precedent is obviously like Adam Copeland debuting and that being, uh, and that, and that being somewhat of a big deal. This is this is a really good show. Like I thought, like I feel like if I'm looking at this from like the from like yeah, for everything on here, it's a, it's a long show. Like it's a long show, but like I feel like this is just as good like, as All Out. At least for me, I thought it was just like oh, like probably like on the same level as All Out in my opinion. I don't think anything, maybe other than Danielson and Zach, I'm not sure I think anything is as good as like Moxley versus Orange Cassidy. But as far as like a whole show, like I thought this was like really, really, really great and just as good as uh, as All Out. Yeah. Yeah. They're back to back really hitting. I mean, yeah, this is two major, major cards, major shows back to back. The Obviously, the biggest issue is the length. As you talked about, the shit is just this is just it's getting untenable it's ridiculous it's too long um it does feel and you can kind of see it when you look at the ratings when you look at the situation and i know i guess i don't even know really because i I don't i didn't like follow it as much but i kind of heard some stuff about that i don't know if it was an extra long overrun or what the deal was but there was a segment on dynamite where the audio was messed up so they replayed it so then they begged to have an, a longer overrun or something and then that longer overrun bit ended up being the highest rated segment of the show it also happened to be the end of the show and it included adam copeland um which there's all of that in that connection and i talked about it in the past on here where it's like when you're playing these ratings games and you're playing these, like, looking at the numbers and caring so much about the business, you're really kind of chasing the lowest common denominator because the people who are getting you these, you know, these lead-ins, these overruns, these, you know, in intro runs, whatever, like, all that stuff, it's like, again, it's the lowest common, dumbest person who just leaves the TV on from show to show and is not, you know, paying attention, is not going out of their way to seek the content. And you could say that that's elitist and this and that, but, I mean, God, like... The people that were tuning in to see young Sheldon and then they caught Adam Copeland, or as I call him, like it's uh, old, instead of young Sheldon, they're getting old Copeland. Um, you know, like that's like, are, is that really like the proof? Is that really like who you're trying to serve with this content? But it feels like it kind of is. Um, but then you look at this pay-per-view and while there is tons of stuff that's like, 
you know, obnoxious and overlong and blah, blah, blah. There's also a lot to really enjoy here that's still really good. And it just feels like, okay, is AEW turning into NXT more and more to the point where it's like the week to week TV, the storylines and all of that's not for me, but I'll turn in for the big events to watch the good matches. And like, I don't, I don't want the company to be that. And in a weird way, are you kind of, again, speaking to the lowest common denominator which is not going to actually it turns out is not going to be your biggest audience because it feels like AEW had a bigger audience when they were serving people who were more discerning you know like I think that there's still there's obviously some kind of example of an untapped market of wrestling fans who want engaging good (laughs) professional wrestling to watch um and I guess we'll talk about that when we talk about the you know the action show here but yeah um Otherwise, you said it, Danielson Saber, best probably best match on the card, just purely best match on the card. Um, but tons of other really good solid stuff here. Yeah, it's um, it's, fun, it's funny. Like as much as I love like Danielson and Zach, like I really really love Christian and Darby. <laughs> I love that match. Yeah, like Christian and yeah. Darby is like really really good. And it's funny because when Christian first came to AEW, like. I thought that he was having like pretty solid matches for the most part. Like, I thought the, I thought that the Kenny stuff was was good, and I was I was ha- I was happy with it. And I was happy with some of that stuff. And like, it's interesting that now they've been able to like tone him down and put him into this different character, and he's not wrestling very frequently or often every week at all. And he's like picking his spots because then you can you're you're in a position to kind of forget how good Christian actually is because you're not seeing him like wrestle as often that like you're like oh yeah like he was actually still good when he first when he when he first came here and that now we yeah. see him and it's like oh yeah this is what like how many, how many matches has he had how many matches has he had this year like eight maybe he's been like he's been in like eight yeah. matches probably something like that yeah it's not crazy it's not a ton yeah, he, he's, yeah. He's, been, he's been in like eight matches and oh like, jesus yeah yeah it's like dude like he's he's really good man he's really really good like i don't know that hit rate is really high yeah for, this yeah, is uh, christian this year i'm not sure if this is like i'm not gonna say it's like christian's best match ever because he has like really good stuff like the orton stuff people are going to point to and then like there's like a rate like the random ecw defenses like say it's like something versus regal or something or some shit like that that's like good and he has like other like scattered like really great shit but genuinely this is one of his best matches ever like Wow. Okay. I'm going to say this, Quentin, before you even move on, I mean, you're not even talking about any of the TNA Christian stuff. And I, I expect that from other people, but from you, that really does hurt. No, see, uh, the, thing, the thing is, is like, even with Christian TNA stuff is like, I don't really have one that I go to off the top of my head. Sure. Like, sure. He doesn't have like a ton of really, really like standout great matches, but he does have a lot of solid, like, yeah, for sure. You know, Kurt Angle, AJ Style. I, I love, I love, like I love, I love the like, Rhino stuff. Yeah. The Rhino stuff is really good. Yes. Um, stuff with Abyss. That exactly. Did yeah. So, like, so, really so like, yeah. Yeah. So he had like plenty to go through because Christian's a really good wrestler. Some people think he's one of the 100 greatest wrestlers of all time, maybe higher. So, like, like, right. like so Christian, so Christian's really good, but like, it's just, it's funny to be in a position where I watch this Darby match. And I'm like, man, in 2023, this guy might have just had what I think is maybe one of his, like, 10 best matches ever. And yeah, it's it's really fucking impressive to not just do that, but do that in the main event 
after like turning your character into one of the biggest heels and best heel characters in wrestling and like i gotta give him a lot of credit for that shit man like i know that like like it was like start really starting off as a meme when it was first starting off when he when he turned heel on jungle boy and saying like your dad is dead and shit it turned like more into a meme but the way it's turned into like really good heat generating like consistently delivering heel work is like I just gotta, I gotta give it up to him, man. Like that, this this shit is exactly what people talk about when, like, when you're talking about someone being one of the best wrestlers ever. Being able to do something like this at 49 years old is what makes you one of the best wrestlers ever. It's you know what it is, and this is like a weird comparison to make, and I think that a lot of people, whatever, doesn't matter. I don't need to preface this, right? I can just say what I'm gonna say, and most people who hear this will know that I'm right. And then if anyone you know argues whatever, but it is it is like the it's similar to the Ric Flair situation, which was that, like, when Rick wanted, and, you know, whatever, you can say what you want about Rick. If you're not a, you know, greatest of all time or in the conversation person, I don't think you can really say, like, below top 15. Like, no matter how much you don't really like Ric Flair, or you think he's too repetitive, this and that, like, it's really tough to argue, like, at least not in the top 20, right? Like, is that... You know, out of the question, like the biggest Ric Flair haters still probably have him in the top twenty of all time. Yeah, for sure. Like I'm like, um, like I'm like I'm not a Flair person at all, really. But it's like right. he's not going to be anywhere outside of like top twenty five. <laughs> right. Yeah, and one of the one of the things that was always a thing about Rick was that he didn't, even when he was like teetering on the level of just being a meme wrestler. You know, and it's funny to talk about the eighties and you know and be talking about a meme wrestler is that like. He was committed to being a heel and Christian could have leaned into the meme and he did tease it a little bit here and there so far with the dad stuff, but he did not ever allow himself to become a meme. He didn't allow the dad thing to be an overbearing thing that became a joke. No, he stuck with it earnestly and authentically. And as you said, he turned it into, it's still the most heel heat getting fucking thing in the company. Like he's not... He's not a joke. He's not a meme. He's not a character. And that's the same thing that Rick did. Like, as Rick would, like, get popular and they wanted him to be a babyface, he's like, no, 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 fuck that. I'm a heel. I'm going to stay a heel. And I refuse to let the crowd, you know, even if they're having fun with this, I'm not going to, like, g- lean into it and turn it into a joke. And that's the same thing that Christian did here. And it paid off big time because you close out this pay-per-view with this huge angle that's insanely hot. And even if... Because I was kind of questioning it, and I think everyone was kind of questioning it. Why is this the main event? I guess the only reason why this is the main event is because Edge is going to debut. And by the end of the match, I really felt like Edge became an afterthought or like a a bonus, like an add-on. Because by the end of it, it completely made sense. And Christian did, he told a, a story that made sense with the history between these two. And the history with Darby of where, where he is, and we talked about it, his development, and the fact that Darby gets the first win clean with wrestling. Even if he pulled the, <laughs> the turtleneck over the head, he gets the first win clean. He didn't have to do any stunt show bullshit. He didn't have to get any weapons involved. And Darby gets the first win clean. He shows that he's the better wrestler than Christian, even though Christian was calling him, you know, a freak stunt show, whatever, bullshit, all that stuff. Um, Christian still gets outdone in the beginning, shows ass, complete heel. And then from there, that's when Christian brings in the brutality. The countout was perfect. The countout was, again, shows the, the Christian brain, the mind for wrestling. Like, you're doing a two out of three falls. The heel has to get two wins. 
okay, if the heel's going to have to get two wins, one of those wins should be dirty, right? Like, if the heel's going to win twice, you don't want the heel getting two clean victories, two, you know, d decisive decisions. So having one of them be a t count out was incredibly smart to say, okay, if I'm going to get the win, I'm going to get it in a cheap way. And not just like a cheap, oh, I used a chair, oh, I cheated, whatever. No, like a cheap, like an undecisive win, a count out, which you don't get in regular matches because like people don't take them seriously. And, they, and that even makes it even more perfect because people don't get count out wins because of how cheap they are. So the fact that he's going to get two wins, make one of them that cheap. That was like perfect. The storyline was perfect. Everything was perfect. So that at the end of it, I was satisfied. I was like, this is perfect. You guys told the story. This was great. I didn't need anything else. And then then you get Edge. Then you get Adam Copeland. You get the music. You get the whole thing. It was phenomenal. And as you talked about, Christian just now finally getting his flowers. The flowers that he deserved in Impact, as I brought up, you know, talking about it, me and you both being TNA apologists, TNA supporters, like... When he made himself in Impact, it really felt like, okay, this people should be paying attention to the, how great this guy is and really start talking about him where he, as he deserves to be. And then now, finally, they actually are talking about it at the level that he's always deserved to be talked about. And then now, you got Edge, and you've got someone who actually wants to make this a thing. And I think we're just going to continue to build this victory lap ballot-stuffing ballot Christian performance where we're going to end up with... Christian and people are going to be talking about him as one of the greatest of all time, which I think he deserves. I'm not saying, but I'm not saying like, oh yeah, he's top five, but I'm saying like, you know, top 100. If you're doing a GWE ballot, I think you could make space for Christian, right? Well, yeah, of course. People were making space for Christian back in 2016 when they were when when they, when they were doing it. So like, this like really is just a thing where you can just it just further validates those people who have always been Christian believers and Christian supporters. Is like, yeah, here we are. Um, here we are eight years later, seven years later, and this guy is is not just still good, but you could argue is like the hottest act in the company. Yeah, yeah, and Darby, he's there with Darby, which I feel like I would love to just move on and not continue to waste time on this before we even get into the main show. But I mean, Darby, how do you, how do I say what I really need to say at this point? Like the Darby should, Darby that he deserves. Should, Darby should not. This is the spot that he should be in. He should be main eventing the That's shows like for the main be, title. Darby, right? How come? How has been four years and we still haven't gotten like a Darby like actual title program, other than like some random defenses versus Moxley and like the fatal in the in the four way versus MJF? Like uh, I don't right. really get it. Like I he really really don't run. get it. <laughs> yeah, this should be a top guy. He should have a top guy run. He should be. Even if you give him a weak run with the championship, he deserves that. He's he's proven it, and he's the kind of guy that they sh that Tony should be begging for and pushing for more and more as this kind of guy. This is the kind of guy you want. This is he bleeds AEW through and through. He supports the company, and he's insanely over. It's not just like it's not like Tommy Dreamer or whatever ECW blah 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 like. He's also one of your most over acts. He actually and does one draw. He actually, he actually has a history of drawing like TV ratings. Like it's not like it's like yeah. just hey, like the little the little work rate guy. Like he does no. give you like a, he gives you a bit of a, gives you a bit of juice. Yeah, 
it's just it's crazy but you know whatever he pops this he shows up here he delivers in a, a big big spot but yeah um otherwise on this show strickland and adam page it's just like something to mention like this is these are the top stars these are the most marketable wrestlers you know what i mean these are guys that should be in the major major position as opposed to mjf like you know this this that match the star power, the quality, everything—it was just state of the art, and it felt like it should be, you know, at the top of the of the company. And unfortunately, like this felt like a mid card. I mean, it, it it did feel like it could be like you could look at it as a number one contender match, and hopefully they kind of treat it that way. But yeah, it's just like it is. It just feels almost like okay. Hopefully now, now that the black cloud has lifted from AEW, we can get back to focusing on guys like this as being the top of the top of the company. Um, um, it, it's very funny. Go ahead. That I'm about to move on from this show and and be like we barely even talked about Zach and Danielson, but I mean I mean uh, what were you going to say? Zach and Brian Danielson, like I don't really like like whatever it looks like in your head and the expectation that you have of it, like it's probably about like what you would expect. And if you're if someone loves these guys like me and you do, it's like exactly what we wanted. Like, dude, this is God, was last time I wrestled two thousand nine. So, yeah, yeah. This is. Well, I was gonna say, like, if we don't talk about this match, I mean, the two of us have talked more about their first two matches than anyone else on the internet. So I guess it's okay if we don't talk about this one. Like, this is, the, like, this is their first. This is their first match in thirteen years, fourteen years against each other. Like, since Zach was a fucking like baby, really, and yeah. Danielson was still on top of the world even back then, and like the best wrestler in the world even back then. And he, like, it's just as magical and great and just sublime at, like, what these guys are great at in their storytelling and their selling and their mechanics about everything is just as great as you'd want it to be with Zach as polished as he is now and Danielson still being maybe the best wrestler in the world on a match-by-match basis. Like, it's yeah. exactly as, like, what you'd want it to be. And... If Danielson is winding down and might be gone soon, I'm just happy that we got one that we got the last Zach match. That that makes me happy. Like yeah. if this guy really is like really beginning to be on the way out, then he left with that Zach match. And I mean, fuck, what do you say? Like if someone says that the Ricky Starks match is better than this, I can't even argue with them because that's right. incredible. And then you have this, and it's just further validation, and it's. I could go on about, on and on about Danielson forever, but it's like at this point, it just it's embarrassing for me to imagine that I would have to justify having Danielson as the as the number one wrestler like ever to somebody because it's so evident by this point by the fact that he keeps doing this twenty plus years in at such a high level, having the two best matches at AEW this year, arguably, and he did it again last year, like you know, like. <laughs> <laughs> There's really not much for me to say here because he keeps doing it, and he's been doing it for 20 years. So, like, I don't know, man. Yeah, <laughs> it's uh, yeah. yeah. It's like look up, look up the earliest Daniel Brian Danielson matches you can find, and you can break them down and talk about how they're some of the greatest matches of all time. And then look at this, his most recent match, and still continue to have the same argument. Um, I think the biggest difference between the Starks strap match, even though. Even though they already have had a rematch since then, 
Um, that match felt a lot more definitive in like the final match between them. Um, whereas this match really feels like you're continuing. This is like the first stop on a story that we're building. Um, I think it's, it's very, one of the funniest things about this whole Danielson situation is that like the, the kind of the bigger <laughs> mainstream, talk about mainstream wrestling fans here. Um, you know, the normies are, they're all like expecting the Danielson Okada too. And I'm just, I'm watching it and I'm seeing how everything is going. And I'm like, no, no they're not doing that. The Danielson Okada thing was a one and done. Like it was clearly set up the way that it was done. Everything about it was one. like, this is the match that's continuing. They are clearly setting up the rematch to have Danielson and Zach in England. And I would not be shocked if we don't end up with Danielson and Zach in the Tokyo Dome. Like, I think that the real rematch match that they're working on is these two. Like, people are thinking they're going to do Danielson Okada again because, you know, everyone really loves Okada and stuff. But, you know, for Danielson, I think he's more excited about wrestling Zach. Um, da- Brian Danielson, the greatest of all time. Um, it's just, you know, we got we to gotta revive the Making the Case podcasts that we did back in the day. Um, you know, on the, on the other network, if we can get place to, or not place to be, uh, if we can get pro wrestling only to, to bring those back, we could do the, uh, the Danielson making the case. Cause it's psychotic to think that anyone would not have him as the greatest wrestler ever at this point. Yeah. I just, well, like, I just, I don't like, see it. Like what's his, like, what, like what's his best AEW match to you? Because I can think of like, a, like at least six off the top of my head where someone said yeah, that's his best it's... AEW match. I wouldn't bet an eye. At, I mean, at this point, I still think the strap match, the Stark strap match, but, I mean, this match was so good, and then, again, there's so... Like, if I raised yeah. you the Hangman 60, like, you... I can't. It, I can't argue. Yeah, I can't argue against If I said it, the Hangman yeah. 60, you'd be like, hmm, that's a really good one. If I said the Daniel Garcia 2 out of 3 falls match... Oh, God damn it. If I said yeah, the Dragon Daniel, Slayer if I said match, Danielson yeah. versus Dustin Rose... <laughs> like, yeah oh my like, god like like dude did you watch him and fletcher from yesterday no i haven't seen it yet oh god i have to watch dude, it him is it fletcher that good? from yesterday it's like really fucking i'm uh, sorry dude i get that i that we do this all the time whenever danielson pops yes, up and that's yeah, yeah, well, yeah what do you want me to do i'm watching the best wrestler ever just like keep being great and like he had uh, like he was great in 2000 and 2001 <laughs> still great now 20 years of greatness like, yeah. like, like legitimately yeah. great not like had to change his style and adjust and do like which is still a sort of form of greatness like didn't have to like, completely change and like like completely just change who he is as a wrestler has been able to relatively stay pretty much the same course as a wrestler made some changes throughout like throughout with pissed stops and shit like that but like was able to relatively stay in a lot of the same pocket as a wrestler and right. is still this good. <laughs> Just one of the most amazing wrestlers who's ever lived. The, why do I even say it like that? I I don't I don't have to couch it. <laughs> you know I've he's I've the said best this. Wrestler I'm on ever. record. He's the like, greatest of all time. He's the, he's the it's best wrestler ever. It's to the point where like I, like I don't even like like thinking the thinking like this. But when these things will come around, and if someone like says I think X is the best wrestler ever instead, I will look at them a little like. Okay, all right. Because sure. I feel like yeah. the, I feel like the answer to me is so clearly this guy at this point in time. Yeah. It is so clearly and evidently him that's like okay, all right. Like I'm gonna like you're gonna have to like really sell me on this. 
You're not gonna, you know, Shingo. <laughs> I I do love the people, the Shingo. You know, the people who the say Shingo's people, the greatest yeah. of all time. I love it. <laughs> I love them. I really appreciate them because I love Shingo. I think Shingo is phenomenal. I think in another lifetime, in another world, Shingo could have been the greatest wrestler of all time. But even with like, by the time he gets to New Japan, it's like too late for him to really prove it. Um, you know what I mean? Like, but but like he had it. He had the tools. But the, the problem is that Danielson not only had the tools, but, like, he made sure to prove it. He just... And, and again, you could think that I'm, like, a sad sack. One of these sad sack wrestling podcasters who write off the entire WWE run when I say that. And that's not my point. My point is that, like, Danielson made sure to prove it in the sense that, like, from the beginning, he was always hunting for the chance to prove himself. And that was why he went to war. That was why he went to Five Star. Uh, uh, God, uh, Five Star's not it. That's the, the comedy wrestling company. The uh, the Caravans. You know what I'm talking about? The Brit- the British company. All Star. Yeah. That is why he went to All Star and he wrestled five nights a week for touring, you know, fucking uh, European, British, like, uh, you know, blue collar British children on vacation. That's why he went there. Do, he do, didn't do, go do there. You remember, do you remember Daniel Eddie Kingston? Yes. Yes. Like, of course I do. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Like him and Eddie Kingston. Yes. <laughs> From the beginning, Brian Danielson went out of his way to prove it and to find the places where he could prove it. And as he continued to go through his career and prove that he was the greatest of all time, he made the most of everything he could ever do. He went to WWE, and like I said, I'm not a fucking sad sack podcaster who decries the wwe era as being completely pointless because there was a ton of good stuff there and there was also the most important thing is that he proved it to the fucking old heads who will never ever ever vote for a wrestler who didn't draw you know a twenty thousand, thirty thousand wrestlemania head he drew one of the largest wrestlemania gates of all time at wrestlemania 30 he proved to be the most over wrestler in the biggest company. You know what I mean? Like that was important to his history. And you can argue that it wasn't as fulfilling wrestling wise, whatever you want to say. Right. And you don't appreciate the work that he did, but he made the case. And the entire time he's always been making the case for why he's the greatest of all time. And Shingo, that's why I love the Shingo heads. Cause like I said, I could see it, but Shingo really kind of took it easy for there for about 10 years. He just did not put the effort into making the case the way that Danielson did. And, like, I'm just, I'm sorry, but, like, I don't really want to vote for the theoretical case of how great this guy, you know, seems to be as a performer when you have Danielson, who spent this whole time actually doing it. You have the guy who fucking did it. The theoretical case is great, you know, if you didn't have the proof, and the proof and the truth is Danielson. And, I and like, that's the... You know, I mean, this guy is just, again, greatest of all time. This match was phenomenal. One of the things that I really loved about Danielson, it was like the early on stuff. And he's doing, he's counting, like, I, I took you down. And he's giving him the finger, two two points for take for the takedown and stuff. And I was just like, it's so good that the greatest wrestler of all time is literally doing everything he can to make sure that everyone else takes Zack Sabre Jr. as serious as he does. And then you hear him in the post media, you know, the post show scrum talking about how he watches all of the indies and especially all the indie wrestlers who get brought into AEW. And he's putting over Brian Keith, which just 
really makes it for me because I've, you know, me and you both have been such big Brian Keith supporters for so long. And to hear Brian Danielson be like, yeah, you know, I follow all of the, you know, indie wrestlers and I keep track of who's coming in and who's coming out and how good they are. And then to hear him saying like, and that Brian Keith, I mean, this guy, he's one of the best wrestlers out there right now. And it's just like, okay, I'm not fucking crazy. Like he gets it. He gets how good this guy is. You know. Yeah, it's like he's and paying like attention. That, like, oh, he's paying. Like, it's like it's yeah. one thing to pay attention, but you're like, oh, you're like really paying attention. <laughs> you know, you know what's going on. Um, I should give a shout out to Brian Keith versus a uh, former guest of the show, Royce Isaacs. Uh, they had a match in this LLL company lucha something and laughs. It's like three to one battle, but in Denver, Colorado. Um, and it it was a really really good match. It was not. You know, it was not like Danielson and, and Saber here because because of the crowd. Because imagine trying to do this match in front of three two one battle, right? Um, but they they definitely worked perfectly for the crowd there. And again, it shows just how good Brian Keith is and how good you know our buddy Royce is. Because I I really think Royce is a great wrestler, and I just wish more people appreciated how good he is. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm a senior, yeah, so I have to go around to it. Um. All right. Well, we've um, talked enough about before we get to action. We supposed to talk about. Um, yeah, we didn't get to talk much about the Stardom Grand Prix, and I actually do got to catch up on it and like see stuff. I didn't even see the finals, but sure. Suzu Suzuki won the Stardom Grand Prix. Yeah, and which is huge. That's a really, really big deal, I think, for like things going forward for her to get like stamped like that, and that really cements like her place in like Stardom's plans in the future. I feel like. So, like, I just kind of, like, wanted your thoughts on, like, Suzu Suzuki getting that, like, nod to win the Stardom Grand Prix. Well, it's not just that, because I, you know, again, I'm with you that I'm not, like, completely caught up, but I've been following it somewhat here and there. Um, but they've really been putting, like, a stamp of approval on her, like, building into this. Um, they've also, like, she, she's had, like, outside of stardom matches that have like clearly been based on the idea of establishing her as not just like a really good wrestler but like a someone who that people should be talking about level wrestler um so yeah i just it's huge you know the the final match with her and uh and oh god it was mike i'm pretty sure yeah, Micah. Yeah, it was Micah, and I just my brain was like trying to say it wrong, even though I know exactly you know who she is. But my, anyways, um, so yeah, so it it definitely seems like Suzu is not just being presented as someone who stardom is taking seriously, but like someone that the entire wrestling world should be talking about and taking seriously. Um, and I I really really appreciate that because like. She's great, and as as we've talked about here, with the fact that she's so young and that she's so like, just such a um, a wonderkin, a, a you know a a, um, a savant when it comes to this, like it's phenomenal. And yeah, like, I mean, where do you go from here? Especially with, I really, I honestly, I'm not, you know, I'm I'm not upset that you brought this up. But I just I was trying to get us going so we didn't keep recording for another ten hours because there's a lot of stuff going on with stardom and injuries and people talking about them being injury prone and do they draw this and that and you know what I mean like there's a lot of other drama there that I was just like I was trying to write off until we (laughs) until we have uh, the chance to get caught back up but 
but yes, like Suzu, her style, the idea that you've got Tam at the top who, who has been proven to be more than willing to get into it and get in the mud. I mean, they could really do something special between those two. Um, and then you've still got a lot. <laughs> I mean, we've already reviewed multiple matches between her and, and uh, Julia, but like to continue on that storyline at the top of this card with the violence and the, the aggression that those two bring, like you're talking about some like, yeah, some next level shit. So, I mean, they made the right call. They could have done whatever they wanted to do, but stardom is stardom is just such a st- still continues to be such a great company, even with dealing with some of the top wrestlers in the company out in with injury. Some of the biggest work, you know, workhorses of the company like leaving. Like It is crazy to think about um, Mina or not Mina, uh, Saya like going out injured like pretty pretty quickly after dropping the white belt and just like how much of the workhorse she was for the company mm. and how those things are like connected, you know? Um, but you don't really you need her and she's good to have, but you don't need her because you have so many other workers that can like fill in. Yeah, like, like it doesn't kill it doesn't kill you to not to, to like to not have Sai Kamatani. Like it doesn't kill you. Like it's like it's not something, yeah, exactly. it's not, it's not something that like ruined your like ruined your plans of Sayakamatani isn't there, right? Like even with how good she is, like you don't, she's not like you know the end of the world that she's out. Even if you know she's great, but I'm sorry, Quentin. Did you have any other like thoughts on on Suzu winning and, uh, and like? Uh, uh, no, I'm just you know like whenever we get whenever we get the eventual uh, Suzu versus Tam match for the title, like I get like. I just have sky high expectations. Like I'm expecting that to yeah. really just be great. Not maybe I'm not sure if I'm going to call it like match of the year level or anything like that, but I'm expecting Suzu versus Tam to be like out of this world good whenever when, when, when it happens because the uh, they 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 did cross paths in the tournament and their match in Clark yeah. and Hall was like really really good. So I'm expecting them to have something even better when they do cross paths because like. I just think of like the vi- like the violence and the willingness to just go further and further and just go all out versus each other. I think with added stakes, that being like a really big spot for Suzu, uh, and really not even being able to tell who would win that match. Like I don't know if I'm just with Pentel and Tam to win that match. If they're like you know what what happens. No. So I'm really looking forward to uh, Tam and Suzu whenever that happens. But that's it. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm definitely looking forward to that. Hopefully we can get back to that give a shout out to jay it's been a while since we had jml on i know he had a he hit a rough patch with personal stuff and you know the entire time i was thinking about him you know a good good close friend for us so we'd love to have him back on and unfortunately getting caught back up to the the five-star grand prix is probably not happening on the podcast we'll do it in our personal lives but we probably won't talk about it but we could definitely bring him on to talk about that match when it comes up um Either way, we should get into the action uh, action wrestling show here. Okay, so I shot this out to you. I shot it out to you based on the card. I did not realize that this was is the, the Sharpsburg showdown. I'm so bad at paying attention to this stuff, Quentin. You know me. You know I'm bad at this stuff. I didn't realize it's not in the uh, you know in the action zone. Um, and I know that you're not a huge fan of the non action zone shows. 
when it comes to action. But I thought this crowd and this building were really good. You know, it's a it's a gym. It's clearly a high school gym, but it was packed. And it was not just packed, but it was packed with really, really hot crowd um, who were, like, definitely game for everything that came through. What uh, what did you think about the show overall and the uh, and the crowd itself and all that? Uh, yeah, you know, you can imagine my surprise when I opened up the show, when I opened up the show and saw where they were at. And I was like, fucking Tim tricked me again. <laughs> I'm sorry. You're good. I'm you're sorry. good. I'm messing with you. Um, but for what it's worth, like, I still don't think it's a great show. And like, but I do think the crowd is like super engaging and it makes it more like, it makes it more digestible when like the crowd is like so good. Right. But I will say that the like best two matches on here are like by far to me the best like non-action zone matches I've seen on these type of shows. Right. Like Adam Priest and Bojack and Culture Inc. versus The Good Hand are significantly better than anything I've seen where they were where they've been anywhere else that wasn't like the action arena. So like a lot, and, a, and a big part of that is the crowd and how good and engaged the crowd is the whole time and like how hot they are and like that making the environment that much better so even if admittedly like i'm not gonna have a ton to say about this stuff because like you know like the rest of the show there's like there, there's like there's stuff that like does have implications and like i do find interesting but otherwise like not a ton to say because i wasn't like overly impressed by some of these people but the best two stuff but but the best two matches on here like are like really 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 good and like the best stuff i've seen like them do that wasn't in the action arena okay well okay so i will say that's i'm not i don't argue with you i don't think i'll argue with you but i do i find that interesting just because when you talk about the top two best two matches on the show the main event being in your top two i did find interesting and not to say that i disliked it but i did i did have some thoughts and some like uh not issues but uh, i guess i'll say issues i had some thoughts and some issues with the main event so i'd love to hear and we'll do i'm actually setting you up to do you know the the reverse style review that we don't really do here often but the main event i'd love to hear your thoughts on what made this so good because outside of the the presentation the kind of the aura and the setup of the match i didn't i won't say that i thought it was bad but i definitely had some like some some shakiness on it so what was it about the good hand versus the culture inc that really spoke to you um i think that like there are like some issues especially like the not like maybe like the non-finish like probably like, you know probably like, probably possibly to just be like like be a, like a, be a, like a legit a legitimate issue and like be something that just kind of like takes like takes away from it for sure. Um, one of like one thing that you mentioned from the outset is I really enjoy the crowd here, and I think that lends itself to doing like a more like typical Southern tag structure where it's really based off cutoffs and heat sequences and all that stuff, and like really like building up the anticipation. And I thought that they did do a pretty good job of that. And I think that Culture Inc. at this point in time is probably like the best sort of like baby face team you can get to like be in a spot like that where they're fighting from underneath and they're the faces in peril and you're going to need like quick hot exciting offense to get the credit like, to like really like liven the crowd up and the and i thought the good hand was was what was more than solid in the role of uh 
building the heat and staying on staying on staying on top of them and um even like the uh even the timing of of some of certain interference spots and knocking someone off the ropes and everything I just I thought was I thought was done super well so like even if the I don't think like the bell to bell like action and engagement with each other like might not have been the best or anything like knock my socks off but when I combine that with how good and engaged the crowd was and how much that can factor into it like it elevated it for me as to where like you know and maybe it would have been lower if it didn't have that and execute on that level but it did sort of like reel me in because all those things combined made for like a really good presentation uh i wasn't a fan of the non-finish i will say that like i wasn't a fan of the non-finish and i get you know why a non-finish is used i get why it is there and to build to something and continue more stories and develop stuff. I get it completely understand that, but it didn't like ruin the match for me. And I still had like a lot of like a, like a great time watching it. And when I say like, I think this is by far one of the best things that they've done on um, the non-action zone yeah. shows. It sounds like a super high compliment when it's still a compliment, but it's like, you got to realize like how, I don't have a lot of matches from those type of shows that I think are that good. So if I'm saying that it's like, like, oh, this is one of the like best things that they've done in a non-action zone show, I might say it's like three and three quarter stars. You know what I mean? Sure. So like that, like I'm so I'm not even like yeah. heaping like a ton of praise onto it. It just like comparatively to other stuff that I've seen on here, it just stood out a little bit more. But that's kind of where I'm at with it. Yeah, and I absolutely agree with you, and that's why I said, like, I even, like, prefaced it with the aura side of things, because, okay, so the biggest, you know, the, the major compliment, and this is not just because it's the only person involved that I think will listen to the podcast, but the booking and 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 the way that they transitioned the action tag team titles to Culture Inc., I think was the correct, absolutely correct move. And as you talked about, with a, if you need a babyface team to like do exactly what they did here and and be able to ebb and flow and get those high octane offense matches going that gets the crowd completely engaged the entrance is huge the vibe is huge everything about culture inc was perfect and i thought that the way that they switched the titles from violence is forever to culture inc was the correct move like i said booking wise that's perfect the match here the booking everything about it was perfect like all of that, I agree with 100%. The only tough part for me is that Culture Inc., as good as they are and as good as they are here, and they're in the main event slot, they just don't quite feel at the same level as Violence is Forever when it comes to execution, crispness, like professionality, all of that stuff, to be like the main event tag team champions of the company and it would probably be easier to accept that if one of these fucking assholes would sign the greatest tag team in wrestling today like i don't understand why violence is forever is not signed to one of these companies right like like these are the best wrestler and of course it doesn't they really don't make sense in WWE I guess I like when when I'm talking about Ilya winning the NXT title I'm like really getting to the point where I'm like anyone could win any belt but like violence is forever should be signed to AEW right like does that does that seem crazy and like 
for me, that that shadow looms overhead of Culture Inc. Where like when they hit some spots and they're just a little shaky and they're not that crisp and they're just not quite perfect, it does make me go like Violence is Forever would like just everything that they would do would just look a little bit more crisp, a little bit, you know, more aggressive, a little bit more, you know, just and they're just that just that little tiny bit better. But Culture Inc., like I said, booking-wise, perfect choice. Um, the crowd is absolutely into them. This match itself was perfect. I don't even mind the finish because I do think it was executed really well. My only argument against this being, you know, the the top in the top two matches on the show would be the match before it with Colby versus Brogan, which I would just that would be that would be in my top two with the Priest and Bojack and then Colby and Brogan, because, I mean. Colby took a little bit of time off when you thought, when he thought, when we all thought he was getting signed to WWE, and then he's come back, and he is just absolutely incredible. And Brogan has continued to develop to the point where he is so fucking good. And I really was not a fan of Brogan. So, like, that's that's saying a lot, because I was just, I was kind of, like, not into this guy. I thought that, like, okay, he's, like, the knockoff, you know second best you know brother whatever blah blah blah. but he has gotten so good recently and then in this match the drama between the two the aggressiveness the just yeah i absolutely loved this match between these two and that's why i'm just like this would be my top two would like the 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 title match the main event um culture versus good hand would be my you know number three but that was like my main issue when you said like those are the top two best matches because i just thought like the way that these two worked against each other the brogan is just the way he is so good as a dominant heel but is not unbeatable he is really really phenomenal at being this kind of heel that's just He's imposing. He's got the size, especially on the indies. He's big. He's, you know, aggressive. He's got the lineage. You expect him to be dominant, but he shows ass. He shows weakness really well, but he's not a pushover. He's some, He's something to overcome, and that's really, really impressive for a guy at his age and at his level to, like, to take someone like Colby Carino and I, I absolutely adore the commentary at the beginning of the match, like talking about their history and their background with each other. But to take someone like Colby at this point, who's coming in here as the NWA, you know, junior champion, um, and to get through the match and make it feel like Colby did something by beating him at the end. And the crowd, the kids come ru- rushing around the ring and they explode when he wins because, because Colby didn't just like feel like, oh, whatever, he beat him, you know, like at the end of it, it felt like Brogan was like this mountain to climb. And I just, I think that like, that's really easy to overlook how good of a job that Brogan does in this role as being not just a heel and not just, you know, you know, a a dance partner, but turning into a, again, a mountain to climb a head, a scalp to, to praise for, you know, something to, he, he, at the end of it, it feels like you prove something by beating him. Colby is phenomenal, obviously. He sells great. He wrestles great. Everything he does is amazing. Um, but by the end of it, it's like the crowd lost their mind. <laughs> the crowd exploded because it was like this big deal that Colby was able to overcome this giant, 
this giant monster, this dragon that he defeated. So that was kind of my biggest, again, my biggest issue. And I, I tra- you saw the way I did that, where I seamlessly transitioned from one match into the other. Quentin, what did you think about what I said and Colby versus Brogan? No, I think I think, the, I think everything you said was like super super valid there, especially like in regards to the shoes in which like Culture Inc is being like tasked with filling. So like, I, I so I, I get I get that for sure. Um, and maybe if I gave Colby and Brogan another watch, I might be inclined to agree because like even then, like I didn't mention Colby and Brogan like during my diatribe about like though like the matches, but this is another one where I think is pretty much on that same level. So I, I I so I I agree there for sure because Colby Colby and Brogan really does a lot that emphasizes and gets the most out of this type of audience, this type of crowd, and gets them really engaged and into it, especially with the size disparity, how imposing how imposing Brogan looks. Uh it all works really perfectly to come together and make a really, really solid and fun match, especially like again, like perfectly catered and um designed for the environment in which they were in. So I really like it. Maybe if I gave it a second watch, I might be as high high on it as you are. But I agree for, I agree with that fully. Uh well you were talking about Kobe Carino. I went to I went to cage match and found myself in a rabbit hole. And okay. randomly I want to ask you do you know what the main event was for the last Evolve show. Oh, oh, Jesus. Okay. Um. Ah, was it okay? Was was Joe Gacy in it? He was on the card. He was on the card, but he wasn't in the main event. He faced Colby. He faced um, Colby on the card, actually. Nice. Okay. Um, that was pretty good. That was pretty good because I was like, I was thinking about it, and I was like, okay, I, I remember this connection. Okay. Um. The main event of the last Evolve show the last Evolve was show. Uh, Eddie Kingston, maybe. Eh, no, that's wrong. That's definitely wrong. Um, God damn, dude. I'm, <laughs> I'm really trying to think. This is tough. I don't even know who the last Evolve champion was. That feels like something that I would definitely know, but I don't. So I'm like trying to think of who it is. So I'm thinking. Okay, I'm gonna just I'm gonna just shoot. It's gonna be like uh, Shane Strickland versus uh, uh, Austin Theory. That'll be like the easiest. Whatever, I'll just throw it out. Okay, what is what's the answer? So, the actual answer is Ar Fox versus Josh Briggs. Okay. And Josh Briggs okay. was actually the last with the last of all champion. That makes sense. See, like I like well, you mentioned Colby. I was like, oh yeah, let me like. It's crazy because <laughs> <laughs> those two are both signed to the to AEW and WWE now. Yeah, <laughs> and they were the last. Yeah. All right. Um... <sighs> Josh Briggs is the last evolved champion. Okay. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> move on. Move on. I'm like, does that even count? What, who was the last WWN champion? Ooh, um, hold on. But I think that that was... They might have been unified at that point. It might have been. Um, who was the last WWN champion? I put in WWN. Like, on Cage Match, if you just put in, like, like whatever, does it, like, give you, like, title history? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Let me see. Uh, World <laughs> Wrestling. <laughs> what are we doing here? Like, I, I, I actually want to know this. Yeah. 
It was Austin Theory because because the, then because okay because okay. then it got um then it got unified. Okay. So the last WWE champion was Austin Theory, who's asked, who's actually a two time WWE champion. Yes, that makes sense. Uh, Joey Janela held the belt. Jesus Christ. Yep. Yep. That was a joke. Um, <laughs> JD Diego Hill versus T- okay. JD Drake held this belt for two hundred fifty eight days. Oh my fucking god, I forgot about that. I forgot he had the title. He did, and it was not a bad run. Oh, yeah, I don't, like, like, I don't remember it being a bad run. I'm just looking at this. No, He had defenses versus... He had a triple threat versus Theory and Harlem Bravado. A defense against Jaka. Uh, a defense against Eddie Kingston. A defense against Brian Idol. A defense against Montez Ford. Defense against Theory. Defense against Dawkins. A defense against uh, Higuchi. Oh yeah! Oh yes! That match was sick. Yes. Uh, Amp, yeah, Amp Dominic. Uh, yep. Shane Strickland, Joe Gacy. Uh, he faced <sighs> Baba T- Baba Tunde. There's a lot of those. A lot of those matches were really good. I don't. I'm not, I'm not sure how many of those I even saw. Yeah, it's it's easy to forget that J- that there was a time where JD Drake was like a good singles wrestler, <laughs> like. He had, I mean, I guess it's not that hard to remember because he had that limitless run that was really good. But yeah, like he was, he was actually really good at this time period. Um, you know, he's the kind of wrestler that that Gabe pushes. Um, speaking of the kind of wrestlers that Gabe would push, Diego Hill versus Teriyaki. These are definitely some Gabe core wrestlers, right? We don't have to review the match, but we do have to say, watch these guys. Commentary put them over super strong. This match was really good. These guys were coming back from intermission, and they fucking killed it. This was a really good match. No, yeah, they, like, they, like these two worked really, really hard. So, even if I don't got like a ton to say about this one, as far as like yeah. the matches where like it's kind of like kind of like lower stakes, like this is probably like, like the best one on the card. I thought. Not like this, like the super yeah, like, cool, like it one. was perfect. Yeah. Yeah, it was perfect placement for it. Coming back from the intermission, I wasn't in the building, so I didn't sit through the intermission. But you know what I mean. You're like, as far as I'm watching, you're following the best match on the show, and you like definitely came back hot and were into it. Well, speaking of that best match on the show, we're talking about Adam Priest versus Bojack. This is a, you know, a, a, a U.S. Indies dream match between one of the, <laughs> obviously, you know. Damian or Adam Priest, Mr. All Style, Mr. Amazing at everything. But in action, what he's the best at is this underdog babyface seller going up against the best big man monster in indie wrestling right now. And they absolutely delivered. I mean, Bojack just feeling unbeatable, immovable fucking monster. Adam Priest throwing everything he has against the wind to try to bring this man down to size. This was everything you want. Even even to the level of the, like, when Priest is on the back foot in the worst possible way, when he does the leg drop on the apron that misses, it's like he responds by gouging the eye. Like, that is just, just the best possible psychology. The guy has just... When you're at the point where it's just like beyond the beyond, you know, the last ditch effort and you're just completely begging for mercy to be able to make this happen. 
to respond with a heel tactic that, again, as I talk about with Priest it, being such a good baby face, it's like it kind of, you know that it always has the wink and the nudge to the heel level. Um, to, to do the eye gouge, to rake the eyes, to counter the body slam, like, you know, it's that Hulk Hogan thing. It's like the, Hogan is always a heel because the crowd just loves him. And Priest is so good at playing off of that. He sells to the hilt. And then he cheats at the right moments where you just, you can't fucking help. You can't help but like him. It's, you know, he's our asshole. You know, it's the, it's the MJF thing, but it's done properly. You know, it's, it's, it's doing that, but it's doing it right. Priest is amazing. Priest is really looking to repeat wrestler of the year. You know, I mean, this guy, he's just, he's just so phenomenal. Like he really is. It's, it's so tough to argue just because he's so good and he just has so much more like Danielson. We talk about it. Danielson being the greatest of all time, being the best wrestler in the world, but he just, he's so limited and you have priest who hits like close to the same level. But he does it so much more often that it's really hard to argue, like between the two. Um, but what did you think about <laughs> Priest and Bojack here? Which I really, I really do think. Like, is this a match of the year level match? Probably not. But is this a a really important match when it comes to making Priest's case yeah, for wrestler more, of the year? More, I think so. It's more important, like a wrestler of the year sense. It's like, like something I would think of as when like a. Uh, Back in like Fred Yehai's best year, when he was like uh uh FIP champ and doing the evolve stuff yeah. and shit like that. And he had like a match versus like Brian Cage in the, be- in the right. beginning of the year. And you're like, oh my god, like this is like a really fucking amazing match. It's not that like Brian Cage is bad in it, but it's like wow, like Yehai to be able to get like a match like that out of someone like Brian Cage is like super duper impressive. And again, same thing with Bojack, we're like I think Bojack is solid. I think Bo- I think Bojack is very solid for like what he offers and like what his role is in wrestling. Like, still though, this is the best I've seen someone like be able to like work to Bojack's strengths and really com- like create a compelling narrative out of it. And that's a testament to the type of wrestler that Adam Priest is. And the fact that there aren't many wrestlers like that out right now who can do the type of thing that Adam Priest did in this match and create like a super duper compelling match in that way and like doing it purely for like the audience that was there, engaging them, making them care, making them super super involved and invested in the narrative and the story of the match and doing just enough as to where like he's a valiant fighting babyface but the goal is to make Bojack look like this like insurmountable monster and mountain of a person to overcome. And that's the magic in making like a match like that work. And Adam Priest does have a claim of being the best wrestler in the world because how many people can go from being a super domineering, smug, and control heel asshole when he's like you know when when he's on that side, but then work a match like this from underneath and have one of the better, like, big man versus little man dynamic matches that you'll find anywhere all year. That's the type of thing that makes someone the best wrestler in the world. So, yeah, not like super, like, not match of the year caliber or anything, but in terms of 
evaluating best wrestlers of the year and all that stuff. Like this, this goes a long way. Yeah. In Adam Priest having a claim for that. Yeah, this is a really important match when it comes to nerds like us picking apart your case for the year because this is 100% Adam Priest just really taking a guy who's, I don't know if he's debuting in action, but it feels like it, but is, you know, he's a big deal elsewhere, but this crowd may or may not know that, and he makes sure to get that over. Even the post-match, like... When Adam Priest wins, but the way that he, like, he drinks the water and he's, like, he's offering it to Bojack as, like, a, uh, you know, like, some kind of peace offering. And Bojack takes the water bottle from his hands and it's just, like, okay, this is, you know, like, this is next level shit. Like, like he's not, you know, and then the way that he, he cuts the promo, but he cuts the promo from the floor as he's leaving. You know, he's making sure that you understand this is not... He's not valiant. He's not dominant. He barely made it out alive. And the moment that Bojack is ready, the Bojack could have killed him. So he just has to keep him at bay and keep him, like you know, you know, willing to just accept the momentary the loss. And he can he can live to fight another day. Um, and a very opposite you know version of this is Alex Kane versus Damian Tangra, which. This match is a brutal, violent brawl between two of the, you know, best kind of indie wrestlers when it comes to, like, executing, you know, this stuff as we can, you know, ask for right now. Um, these guys are phenomenal. Tangra, I think, unfortunately, is just not... I hate to say this, but I just feel like Tangra could be in that conversation as, you know indie wrestlers in America that people should be fucking paying attention to and talking about, but he's just not, he's just not putting that effort in. I hate, Tangra feels like he's speed running Chris Hero fucking career. And I, I hate to say that, but he's doing the Chris Hero career with never getting the WWE, you know, contracts. Like this guy needs to be working harder, but he's so incredibly good when he hits He's so awesome to watch that I just, I really, really love when he's in there. But I'm just like, dude, you got to put like more effort. I just, you know, and maybe I'm tainted some ways from just knowing about stuff background wise, whatever. I don't care. But like this guy just needs to step it up. I don't know what his personal life is like, any of that situation, but he's so fucking talented. He's this match is like the epitome of what I want to see. The drama between the two is built in because of their like the history and the booking and the way that they set this up to make this even bigger. And it's just like, dude, you're right here. You're in the ring right here with Alex Kane, who is undoubtedly next up. Alex Kane is, without a question, one of the top indie wrestlers in the world. And... I think a lot of people overlook it because he's an MLW star and he's got the MLW world title and all this and that. And, like, if you don't pay attention to that, you don't realize that this guy is fucking amazing. And he's having great matches with a varied level of wrestlers. But if you're not, you know, paying attention to, like, the normal hip, you know, indie wrestling companies, you're not seeing it. But he's doing it in MLW and he's building a name to the point where... 
this is going to be the next guy. Like, it's, we're already there. And Tangra should be at that level, but unfortunately, he's just, like, kind of, like, floundering in the mid-card. Um, I'm sorry, this is a bad setup, but, like, Quentin, what did you think about this match? Uh, I think the match is fine. Like, for me, I have higher expectations because I believe these guys to be as good as, like, what you're saying right here. So I think it's solid, but I'm not, like, super enamored by it. Um, so your overall, like, Damian Tangra thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it's hard. It's hard when, like, you see someone as talented, but you feel like they might not be, like, applying it all the way. Because you can see, like, you could be one of the guys if you really wanted to do that. And, I don't know, it makes it, like, kind of hard to watch him sometimes. Or I can see why it makes it hard to watch him, because, like, you're waiting for him to, like, get it before I flip the switch, and right. you're like, okay, like, I'm going to take full advantage of the fact that if I apply myself, I can be really, really good at this, and not just for, like, coasting on his talent. Uh, but, yeah, man, I think that, for me, it's like, it's a, it's a good match, but... Even without, like, before what you said, it's, I have certain expectations because I've seen these guys be, like, really good before. And I keep waiting for Damian Tangra to, like, reach those levels again. Like, when we first saw him sort of as a rookie. And it feels like he just sort of, like, stalled out after that for me. Yeah. And maybe it's just time to, like, adjust expectations. Maybe he just isn't that good. Maybe it is a thing where he's like not applying himself. Who knows? But like, it's been a few years now of kind of him, of kind of waiting for him to like reach those heights again, and he just hasn't done it to the point where it's like maybe it's maybe we should be just tempering our expectations when it comes to him. Yeah, that's fair. You know, it was funny because I was just pulling up the cage match and I saw <laughs> Damian Trangra had eight matches this year. Like you were talking about earlier with Christian. Christian, in his 50s, proven to be one of the greatest of all time. He wrestled eight times this year. So did Damien. Damien, the guy who needs to prove himself. The guy who should be fighting to make a name. He's wrestling as much as Christian. I hate to say that, you know. And I'm not, you know, whatever. I, you know, hope... I just, I wish this guy, he's so good, but I just don't want you to be, you know, again, I don't want you to speed run the Kiss Chris Hero career without getting the accolades, man. You're so talented, and you're a really good wrestler. He had a great match with, he had a great couple of matches with Dan Makabe, one of the best wrestlers alive today, right? Like, this guy can do it. He's just not delivering. Um, Beyond this, there's no, the three matches opening. Rob Killjoy and Spectra had a couple of like gift-worthy gift-worthy moments. Shout out to Casey Owens and and Bobby Flacco for having like a solid match, but anything else you want to talk about before we just call it a day because we've been recording for too long already? Uh, yeah, I was about to say like Bobby Flacco and Casey Owens is like the only thing worth mentioning. I thought I felt like Casey Owens looked solid. Like Killjoy yeah. and Spectra my like, Yeah. It had like I said, it had gifable spots that people are talking about. I like Killjoy, but it was like, you know, it's not, it was not really a great match, but Flacco and Owens was really good. Flacco, I think, continues to be one of the underappreciated wrestlers uh, 
on the indies. I think Flacco, not only is he, it's similar to the the Darby thing. It's like a guy who's he's over, he's unique, and he's a work rate guy. And it's just like a guy who people should be paying better attention to. And Owens, Owens is young, he's thick, and he's building up the repertoire. And I just hope that people notice what he's doing because. Yeah, again, he's a guy who's actually building some stuff. But uh, I don't know if you had any other thoughts. Uh, no, nah, I'm good if we're ready to wrap up. Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, you can follow Tim at ROH Dutch. You can follow me at QT underscore Moody. Tim, I'm forgetting the name of your other, of your other, of your other podcast. So if you want to. Heat that, Death of the Universe. Heat Death of the Universe. Is that the same for the Twitter? Yeah. Heat Death of the Universe. On Twitter, you can follow us at WDKWPN for all your uh, audio audio needs. If you're feeling us so kind, you could donate to us on coffee and fund my it's fun and fund my weekend in DC next week. Like they're trying to send me to like go to DC for like battle rap events the entire weekend. And it's like Okay. I don't want to do that. This is, but like, sure. you know, if, if 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 it comes down to it, maybe like, you know, may, maybe. But if you want to help and send me to DC, then donate to us on coffee. Other than that, thank you all for listening. Hope you're here next time. Peace.